0: Father, we've said it and this is what we want to do. We want you to take every word that is spoken. If it's a confusing word, make it clear. If it's an incorrect word, make it right. Take the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, even the ones written down on this paper in front of me and just use them in a way to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and benefit and blessing to those of us who hear them. For Father, I'm, I'm the first one to hear them. And I pray that blessing might come through them and strength and encouragement and hope and joy and understanding. For your word can do all these things to all who hear it. And we ask you for that now, praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, since I've been off for a week, I know human memory is uh, what it is. My own memory is, uh, could cause me to say on a morning like this, now, what were we talking about? It's been two weeks since I brought a message. What's, what's the series about? What is it? So I'm going to ask you and remind myself as we start today, remember the red letter words with which we began this series of message messages. Let me just read them again. They came from Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, verse 24. Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does what with them? Can you remember? And puts them into practice will be like a man who built his house on a rock. That's what Jesus promised. Right at the beginning near the, or right in the midst of that Sermon on the Mount. He'd been sharing words with them. Now in chapter 5, chapter 6, in chapter 7, he comes to this, which really is kind of a conclusion and a reminder. Don't just let them go in one ear and out the other. He said, anyone, that would be all those people sitting there that day, who hears these words of mine, they had all heard them, he had just spoken them, and, now here comes the future, and who puts them into practice. That person will be like a man who built his house on a rock, steadfast and firm. Now, the red-letter words I would have us consider this morning are certainly of that sort. Heed them, and your life will be as solid as a rock. Ignore them, and your life will most likely crash and burn. So they're serious. They're words from the Lord Jesus himself. They're red-letter ones. And so here's today's red-letter scripture. Consider it with me. Mark chapter 13, verse 5. Jesus said to them. So Mark is telling us something that Jesus said. Mark has remembered it, and he's now passing it on to us. Jesus said to them, watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you. You get the impression there might be somebody trying to deceive you? And they might even be sneaky about it? He says, watch out that no one deceives you. Deception. Now, we know all what it is, but let me just basically remind us. It's convincing someone. This is what deception seeks to do. Convincing someone that something false is true. People will do that to you throughout your life. Jesus would say, don't fall for their lies. Watch out that no one deceives you. Now, we know our world is full of deception. Some places are actually based upon deception. That's their whole reason for being. Now, Linda and I and our extended family spent some time In one of those places, this very week, this past week, we flew many miles and for many hours and spent a fair amount of money for the privilege of stepping into that place of deception. Nearly nothing in that place is what it seems. Let me share with you just a little bit of photographic evidence that I brought back with me. Take a look at this first picture here. Now, who's that? He's kind of, are you sure? He's kind of way off there, but he's coming toward us. And, and as he was, I could hardly believe my eyes, so I picked up my camera and took a, took a picture. Who could, who could believe this? Could it possibly be that 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 character that most Americans know and love was right there in front of me? Had he stepped out of the story or down from the movie screen and came to that magical place where anything can happen? Well, he got a little closer. Look. Oh, I was right on the other side of those bars. I didn't even have my long range. I was right there. I could have reached out and shaken his hand and then gotten arrested. So I didn't. But he was right there. Winnie the Pooh himself. How many of you believe that that is actually the real Winnie the Pooh? (laughs) See, we're not going to be deceived. Even if we paid a lot of money to go to a place to be deceived, we're we're not going to actually let it deceive us. We know we know that's not the real Winnie the Pooh, if there even is one. We know that the Disney company has hired some college kid to put on a Pooh costume and walk around in the blazing hot sun and seek to endear himself to the paying customers. We know that. How many of you have been there and taken in? You've been there, you've seen something like that. Disneyland down here, Disney World down there. And, and it's like... You can just get caught up in the bubble of deception, can't you? It's wonderful. That college kid inside that suit could have a scowl on his face. He could say, man, if my my period isn't over here quick, if I don't get a break, I'm going to collapse right here. Sweat could be pouring down his body inside that suit. But on the outside, he has this silly grin because it's painted right on. He couldn't not grin if he wanted to. And we stand on the outside looking at at this fuzzy character, this attractive thing. It's almost like something we've loved over the years come to life right there in front of us. Who can't feel better about themselves that close to Winnie the Pooh? Now, we don't get completely caught up in that. We don't believe that because we're old enough to know how things work and to know what's real and what's not not so much the children that were standing there they believe that that really is, was Winnie the Pooh and of course they believe even more firmly now than ever that there actually is a Winnie the Pooh and you say well it's harmless what's the deal kids believe all kinds of stuff that they later grow up to find out isn't so but it's a fun deal You see, in this little harmless way, those children are deceived, even as we most likely were about a lot of things when we were their age. However, through our knowledge of the world and the affairs of men, as that grows, as we grow, our susceptibility to deception, now listen to this, does not vanish. It merely takes on more sophisticated and harmful forms. We are just as capable of being deceived at 85 as we were at 5. And believe me, the deceptions we fall for at 25 or 35 or 45 or any other 5 are far more damaging. They can completely derail us. Some of them can destroy us emotionally. Some can bankrupt us financially. Some of them can ruin us socially. And as we'll see this morning, some of them can completely ruin us spiritually. Now those, those were the ones that Jesus was talking about. Watch out. Could say be on your guard, be alert, be aware that no one deceives you in these most important matters. Those are the ones I'd have us focus our attention on this morning, and three of them in particular might even consider these to be categories of deception. Could be a lot of applications under each one. But I just want to share with you to begin with four, three kind of kinds of deceptions, categories we might even say, of deceptions that are deployed by the ungodly in this world. And that we encounter. Let's go through them one by one. They can be applied in a you know, hundred different ways, but let's just call it great deception one, a type of deception Here it is. It says, You can improve upon what God has said or done. You can take what God has said, you can take what God has done as a starting point for your life, and then you can build on that. You can improve upon it. You can make it applicable to this day and age. You can just work it in a way that you wind up actually with something better than what God started out with. There are those who believe that. You can improve upon what God has said or done. There are millions of people in this world who are involved in doing it. Trying to anyway. Hopefully we've never fallen prey to that. Or, let me just ask, maybe you have. I have a feeling I have sometimes over the years. Have you ever thought to yourself that the Bible is a bit outdated and its standards and expectations don't necessarily apply to this day and age? Have you ever looked back upon the, the, the behavioral standards you were raised with, and, and you decided you'd have to cut your kids a lot of slack on those? You couldn't expect them to be raised the same way you were raised. You couldn't expect them to be held to the same standard you were held by. The world has moved on. Things have changed. How many of us have actually modified those standards for ourselves? You see, believing that we can read something in the Bible, believing that we can hear something that comes from the Bible and that is spiritually true, biblically true, and then believing that we can improve on that. We can tweak it a little. We can just adjust it to make it fit more appropriately into our day and age is a deception Of the ungodly. The ungodly, the unbelievers, if they even consider this book to be worth anything, they rewrite it in their own image. They rewrite it according to their own more enlightened understanding of things. Now, see, that deception's been around for a long, long time. Eve fell for that deception way back in the garden. Satan told her, after God had given her and Adam certain guidelines for what they could eat, what they could do, how they can serve God, how they can enjoy unbroken, wonderful fellowship with their creator, all of the time, after God had laid it all out, Satan came to her and say, it can even be better than what God said. Satan told Eve that there was a more beneficial way to live than the way the Creator had laid out for her and Adam. God said you could eat of all the tree of the garden, but you cannot eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one, I don't want you to eat from. There's knowledge there I don't want you to possess. But it's there to test their obedience. But Eve was deceived. The devil told her, number one, God had said, the day you eat of that, you're just going to die. You will surely die. And Satan said, not so. Not so. This fruit is pleasing to the eye. She could see it. This fruit will make you wise. For heaven's sakes, it came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How can knowledge hurt you? And so it says here, Genesis six three six. When the woman saw that the fruit that God said do not eat was good for food, not bad, and pleasing to the eye, not not ugly, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom, not problems. She took some. She took some. And the Bible tells us she was deceived. She was told something was true that was in fact false. Now, believers by the millions have denied the reality of this biblical observation. Here's another one we could just list. About And and if, if you don't want to hear this, just put your fingers in your ear right now. Just put your, your fingers in your ears and even if you have to say la 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 while I'm talking I'll let you know when it's safe to, to uncover yourself. But here we go. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1. I would have been raised on this one. And I've never modified this one in my own life. It says wine is a mocker. Another word wine sells itself <laughs> in, with less than truth. Wine will mock you. Wine will present itself as something it is not. Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. And whoever is, there's our word, deceived thereby, this is King James, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now keep your fingers in your ears. But those of you who don't have your fingers in your ears, say this to yourself or somebody next to you. Drinking is dumb. Boy, that's a little quieter than it was when I walked up here on the platform. (laughs) Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So if you're not wise, what are you? In a casual way. Dumb, uninformed, ignorant, making a mess of your life. See, the thing I love about standing here with this book in my hand is you can never blame me for any of this stuff. (laughs) But you can say, that's from the Bible, the Bible, that was written probably 3,000 years ago and things have changed, Pastor Mark. If you're clinging on to that old book, well, shame on you. See, you're still not saying they're my words. You're just saying I'm stupid. But this is what it says. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. How about this one? And I I know, see, in our world today, our Christian world today, there's so much of this stuff that's already been laid by the wayside that I can read a Bible verse and I know run the risk of offending a lot of you, hurting a lot of you just because it's what it says, but I'm going to read it anyway. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Paul writes, and he says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship can light have with darkness? He's talking in the very first century where people are giving their lives to Christ. They're the first generation of Christians in the world. The first generation of people who say, I've seen the light God has revealed to me his truth. I yield my life to Jesus Christ. He's the risen, exalted Lord, the God of the universe, and my life is his, and I want to live for him, and I want his Holy Spirit to guide me through this fallen world, and that's who I am. That's what a Christian identity used to be. It was all wrapped up in, that's who you were when you said you were a Christian. And when people were saying that in the first century, Paul was saying something that was really a no-brainer to them. He said, well then don't yoke yourself up with somebody who denies everything you just affirmed as being who you are. Jesus Christ is the Lord. And the other person says, I'm not even sure if Jesus ever lived. I think it was kind of a historical uh, figment that was built into something more. That's all my teachers have told me. I don't even know if I believe that. Well, my life belongs to him. Well, my life belongs to me. I'm carving out my path. I'm making my decisions. I'm spending my money. I'm doing what I want to do. Paul says, how can light... Fellowship line itself up successfully with darkness? How can somebody who affirms certain things connect with someone who denies those very things? Paul wasn't given a tricky theological situation here. He's just talking logically, honestly, socially, practically. It doesn't work. But it's been tried in millions of homes. Has been tried in millions of homes right in our country today. It's because probably more often than not, there's a woman who has been deceived. He said he would go to church with me. What does that have to do with anything? Does the Bible ever say going to church with somebody gets you into heaven? Does the Bible ever say if you go to church with somebody and put up with somebody preaching at you for an hour that you win points with your wife and you'll have no conflicts at home and all your other values will just fall into place? Yeah, but he's so hot. And he's paying attention to me. I mean, he's paying attention to me. And you know what? I'm just trusting God here. I'm going to lead him to Christ. I'm going to lead him to Christ. He's basically a good guy. He's not a bum. He's not a, you know, he's basically a good guy. In fact, he is a good guy in, in all respects. My parents don't have any real gripe with him. Just one tiny little thing. He's not saved. He's not saved. Well, you know, truth be told, she says, I'm only saved on Sunday morning from 10 to 11. Monday through Saturday, I pretty much live like all my friends anyway. There's no real conflict between me and him on most of the days of the week. If he goes to church with me, he squirms for an hour. And I kind of feel like I'm in the right place doing the right thing. But there's a lot of other hours in the week for heaven's sakes and I don't even believe we have to go every week so it'll work cuz boy I love him I love him and I know he loves me and it will all work out because after all isn't God the God of love and doesn't God want something that's best for me and I can just see it all happening now and she's deceived She's believing something that will not be true in, in probably more than 1% of the cases. She's believing something that's false to be true. She's deceived. And now, I don't know, this is going to get worse. But I was just raised in a real tight, you know, laced family. And so there's stuff that that I was just always taught was wrong. And then, by golly, see, I came close to saying something I shouldn't say there. By golly, my mom would have a verse for stuff like this. Bring bad language home? My brother was a Marine. Hear that, Tony? He was a Marine. He went into the service prepared to teach some of those guys new words. And My mom would... Oh, how can you say watch that, watch that and then she'd have a verse like this Colossians 3.8 can I dare read it right out loud here but you must rid yourselves of all filthy language from your lips unless you're upset unless you need to make a point unless it just pops out because it caught you off guard but it's in your head anyway See, these are all things where Christians today have improved upon the Scripture in their minds. They cut themselves more slack than the the Scripture cuts them. They lay out patterns of belief and behavior that the Scripture knows nothing about. But they consider themselves Christians. So therefore, they must be Christians who feel that they can improve upon, can can work around and work with what the Bible does say to accommodate the actual life they're living. That's an incredible deception. And so many Americans walk in it. I firmly believe that those three applications of that one deception are more than sufficient to explain the demise of the American church over the last 30 to 40 years. The demise of this country has very little to do with what the unbelievers are doing. The demise of this country is mostly having to do with what professing Christians are doing and the stands they're taking and how far from the scripture they have strayed. And so there is no standard that anybody else can look to and and judge their own lives by. For the believers do the same things the unbelievers do in social ways, in, in all these other ways. And our country has suffered to say nothing of the church. These are three areas where American Christians and even American church leaders, areas where all of the above have believed, that they could improve upon what the Word of God says. And so from the very beginning, obviously still today, this deception has led many of God's people into blatant disobedience. Thinking they're improving themselves in their life circumstances, they have brought ruin and heartache to themselves. And frequently shame to the cause of Christ. Here's now a second great deception that partners with the first. Great deception, too, is this. You can avoid the consequences of what's been done. You can get away with it. You can avoid it. The devil said that to Eve. Eve said, God said, we shall surely die. The devil said, look, it's good fruit. It'll make you wise. It's pleasing to the eye. And, by the way, you shall not surely die the consequence you can avoid see he he parsed his words very carefully god had said in the day you eat of it you shall surely die did he mean they were going to fall over dead going to drop dead that moment physically die or did he mean the moment you eat of it you will sever the relationship you have with me and you will enter into something called spiritual death you will have exercised that wonderful free will of yours to go your own way and to walk away from your creator and his desires for you and in that single moment that which is living and alive in you as a spiritual reality will wither and die. Can't be seen. Can't be demonstrated. The devil knew that. Or at least he took his chance. And he said, you will not die. You will not surely die. And lo and behold, she ate the fruit and she she didn't drop dead. And she gave it to her husband. I don't know if she said to Adam, hey, it's great stuff, and besides that drop-dead thing, God lied about that. He was just trying to scare us. There's no consequence here. I just feel more alive than I've ever felt before. I feel like my mind's been taken to a new level. I feel, and I felt good about exercising my own will. Adam, it's awesome. Exercise your own will. God made us that way. And neither of them died. Lived nearly a thousand years, physically. But they died spiritually when their mouth sunk into that very first bite. Believing the deception that they could avoid the consequences for sin, for disobedience. We do the same. We tell ourselves all the time, even when we know we're doing something that is not right... We tell ourselves in various ways that we'll get away with it. We don't have to worry about it. No one will ever know. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? What does that mean? That means I can sin to my heart's content as long as I'm in Las Vegas. Because nobody else will ever know. They don't talk. They don't email home. Pastor? You could actually go to Las Vegas and nobody's going to email your church and show pictures of what you did while you were here. It's just a deal. See, you can avoid the consequence if you just plan carefully. Some people say those rules no longer apply anyhow. Some of those Bible rules, they they just don't apply anymore. So of course we're avoiding the consequence because the rule doesn't matter anymore. God would never want me to be unhappy and right there I know in his great love he cuts me a lot of slack. And he says, I understand you're weak. I understand you have needs. I understand that that you're a human being. I understand that you live in a fallen world and so I also understand you're probably going to carve your own way and do a lot of stuff that really hurts my heart. But I love you. So, uh, will go easy on the consequences and then there's always the person who says besides I've done this before and nothing's ever happened Eve didn't drop dead you didn't get caught it didn't turn out to blow up your marriage you say I know how to do this besides I've done it before I've never got caught nobody's ever had a problem with it well, that's, that's the second great deception. You can avoid the consequences of what's been done. You will not surely die. Here's the third one. And by the way, we're going to go quickly on the last parts here. I just want to make sure we get the deceptions in our minds. How about this one, great deception three? You can always do later the things you left undone. There are things you know, we know are right to do. Things that God would have us do. Things the Bible says we should do. Things that we just know are the correct things to do. But for whatever reason, you'll say, I'll take care of that later. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that when I'm older. You know, I'll get serious about my faith when I'm old and gray like my grandmother is. But right now, I mean, for heaven's sakes, I'm 20, 25 years old. I want to live it up. I want to enjoy life. And I'll get serious about my faith you know, later on. Maybe I didn't do it now, but I'll do it then. Here's a verse. You'd have to look this up and read the story. I just encourage you to do it this afternoon. Numbers chapter 14. The 40th verse says this. The people of God are speaking, and they say, now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. You know when they said that? God had brought the people right to the edge of the, pro- the promised land. He sent in 12 spies to check it out. Remember the story? Ten of the spies came back after examining the whole land and said, we don't have a prayer. Those guys are gi- There's giants in there. It's a rough land. We don't have a prayer. Us ragtag group of people who used to be slaves in Egypt and now here we are with our pitchforks and whatever we got. We don't have a prayer to conquer this land. We'll stay on the outside. We should. Joshua and Caleb, two of the twelve, said when God is with us, we can take him without. It'll happen. But the people took the report of the ten. They said, we cannot do this. We will not do this. I don't care about all the miracles God did in front of us here and there and everywhere where we've reached the limit of what God can do and we're not putting our lives at risk. And God said to them, fine. Then every one of you, this whole generation, will just wander in this desert till you're all dead. Not one of you will ever inherit the blessings that I want. And having heard that, the people said, well, if you put it that way, uh, maybe we could give it a shot. In fact, I'm sure we could overpower them. I'm sure we could do it mightily. And they headed out. Against the first city, the first enemy, and they were destroyed. You see, put it this way Monday was the day that God said, Go in there and you will be the destroyer. On Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, when they said, Okay, we're ready now, we'll go in and do it, they were destroyed. It's a lie. It's a deception if somebody says, you have plenty of time for that. You don't have to worry about that. Now, you can do that later. Why why, why get all involved in, there's more fun things to do now. There's something else you can do now. You can take care of this other stuff later. Later may never come. And the grace that God was planning to give you today to do the thing that he called you to do, he might not give to you a year from now a week from now because then is not the time this is the time and we know how good our God is at his timing of things so the deception says you can always do later the things you left undone don't worry about it that's a lie they thought, the people of Israel thought that by changing their mind, God would change His. He didn't. And the people were destroyed. And all the ones who didn't go into battle, they died in the desert, just wandering around aimlessly for 40 years until their physical bodies gave out. They never got a second chance. The chance was there. The time was there. You see, we might say there's always time to make amends. I'll get my life together one of these days. God will forgive me. I'm just not ready yet to live such a restrictive life. We deceive ourselves with those words. We believe that the outcome of our life is completely in our own hands. We believe that we can always do later the things that we leave undone in the here and now. And it's a lie. Falling prey to any of these three great deceptions is tragic. And yet we can do so quite easily. And very likely a good number of us have uh, fallen prey to one or more of them. Our red letter words are to be taken as seriously as any Jesus ever uttered. Watch out. Be on your guard. Be alert, be aware that no one deceives you. And now, let me just quickly give you, these are three horrible deceptions. These are deceptions that if we accept them and believe them, can ruin our lives. So how do we protect ourselves against them? Let me just give you three scriptures dealing with each one of the deceptions, and you can further think about it, reflect on it this afternoon. How do we protect ourselves from these three great deceptions promoted by the ungodly in our world today that we've spoken of this morning? First of all, our protection against the deception that says you can improve upon what God has said or done, your protection is to apply protection one, deception protection one, Take God's word as the authoritative word on any subject it addresses. Any subject. If the Bible speaks about it, that's the final word on that subject. Here's a verse, John chapter 10, verse 35. Jesus said, and the word of God cannot be broken. Cannot be dismantled, cannot be torn apart and put back together in a different fashion. The word of God stands. Psalm 90 says it's eternal in the heavens. Even before the New Testament was written, those words were there. Jesus said, the word of God cannot be broken. In this particular passage, Jesus was quoting an Old Testament scripture to make a point. He was in a bit of a debate with some of the Jewish leaders and he quoted an Old Testament scripture to make his point about the subject they were discussing and lest they say that doesn't apply, Jesus says, and scripture, meaning including the scripture I just quoted to you, scripture cannot be broken. If you're interested, you can read that 10th chapter of John and find out what they were debating about. But here was Jesus' concluding statement that he knew they could not argue. The truth of it is, if the Bible has spoken, it has declared truth. It cannot be broken or found false. It can't be altered or challenged or set aside. If God's word says something, that settles it. So we'd say to protect ourselves from the deceptions of of mankind, think like Jesus about the Word of God. And you'll never be deceived by one who would seek to manipulate that Word of God. Here's the second thing. Our protection against the deception that says you can avoid the consequences of what's been done is to apply deception protection too. Understand that consequences cannot be avoided. That's what the Bible says. Galatians 6-7 the Apostle Paul says, do not be deceived. You see, anybody telling you different than this is trying to deceive you, trying to mislead you, trying to get you to say a false thing is true. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. When somebody says the word of God doesn't matter anymore, you're mocking God. When you say the Bible is not applicable to today's world, we're mocking God. He says God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You really can't say it ain't clearer than that. Consequences follow actions. See, this is the Apostle Paul talking to believers here. Paul says in that very passage that those who sow, that is, put seeds in the ground, To please their fallen sinful nature will reap destruction. Every time we do something just to please our sinful selves, Every time we do something just to give uh, expression to something that comes from our fallen, sinful nature, every time we express our own sense of independence, I'm running my own life, or indulgence, I deserve to have more of that. Anytime we plant seeds that come from that, Paul says we reap a harvest called destruction. Destruction in one kind or another. There are believers by the thousands probably some of us in this room who can testify to the truth of that statement. I ignored the word of God, I ignored the principles of God, and I messed up my life royally. Maybe for a period of time. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. Allow this truth to protect you from any further or future damage. Here's the third thing now. Our protection against the deception that says, "You can always do later the things you have left undone," is to apply deception protection three. Understand. Understand that today's avoidance cannot always be made up for by tomorrow's diligence. It's good to be diligent tomorrow, when tomorrow comes. But being diligent, being self-disciplined, being godly in the future doesn't necessarily overcome your avoidance in your past. You're you avoid a thing in the present and believe, I'll, I'll catch up later. I'll get... That, that doesn't always happen. Because you know why? We're not guaranteed of any tomorrow. We're not guaranteed of any tomorrow. Here's what Jesus said, John chapter 9, verse 4. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. We're not guaranteed any future to make amends for our past or present. We're not guaranteed any future that will allow us to finally do the thing that we've been putting off spiritually, the thing that we know is right while we're doing wrong, and we'll say, well, you know, there's coming a day. I'll get myself squared away. We can't be sure there's coming any more days. Jesus says there, night is coming when no man can work. So it's a deception to say there's always more time, there's always tomorrow, there's always next year, there's always time to to get things squared away. That's a deception. Night is coming when no man can work. Even Jesus Christ could not put more minutes in his day. He was limited to the same number we're limited to. The moment comes when opportunity ends. And we never know when that moment is. So make every moment count. Put yourself under the control and keep in step with the very Spirit of God who walks you through every moment in this life. Yield yourself to Him and you will know that every moment of your life has actually brought blessing to God. Every moment in your life has been pleasing to God. Every moment of your life has been responsive to the Spirit of God and you don't even have to worry about somewhere in the future I'll try to straighten up the mess I made here. The Holy Spirit doesn't walk us into messes. He walks us into life that is of His desire and His choosing. And that's the way. It's day. It's day. Walk in the light. Work while it's day. Do the important things when you have a chance to do them. Well, here's our final thought. Deception concerning the truths of God is a deception like no other because it carries eternal consequences. You see, some of these deceptions, when people fall for them, Some of these deceptions actually keep people out of heaven. There are unbelievers believing this stuff. There are unbelievers believing that the Bible is old and done and no longer applies. There are unbelievers believing there'll be no consequences to the sins in their life. There are unbelievers believing all kinds of things, living in deception, and that deception for them will keep them out of heaven. It has eternal consequences. And then these deceptions can cause others, believers to enter into heaven empty-handed. Trusting in Christ, but having wasted their life. Trusted in Christ, but waiting and waiting and waiting until they get feeling just super, super sincere and super, super ready. And one of these days, I'm really going to take my faith seriously. I think I might even read through the Bible sometime. And then the end of their life comes. And they got nothing in their hand with which they can honor their savior Joe talked about that last week the rewards you know there's eternal consequence to the way we live our lives in the temporal because we can live in such a way that we honor Christ and we are honored by Christ or we can live our life that by the grace of God we've accepted his salvation and we truly are saved but we've come under the deception that says everything in here I don't have to consider or live by. I'm going to live the way other people tell me is best. And we wind up just living a life that accomplishes no good thing for Jesus Christ. Watch out, Jesus said. Watch out. Do not let anyone deceive you including somebody wearing a tie and a suit on a Sunday morning. Although I know I'm the last one doing that. But whatever they're doing, standing on the stage, don't let anyone deceive you. Say to yourself, is that biblically true? And if they're telling you why and how you can work your way around something the Bible says, you know you're being deceived. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. There's just too much at stake. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize that ever since sin entered into this world, we became incredibly deceivable. We actually are very, very good at deceiving ourselves. We convince ourselves that things are true that are not true. We convince ourselves that things are okay to do that are not okay to do. We convince ourselves that there'll be no harm with it, whatever it is, and discover great harm. Deception, deception, deception. Father Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth and the life. You sent us your Holy Spirit to remind us of the teachings of Jesus Christ who is the truth. Guard us, Father, by your Spirit. And we will just say, I I believe we all will say here this morning, we want to live in an undeceived way. We want to live in the light. We want to live according to the truth. We want to be those that bring pleasure and honor to the Lord Jesus. And to do so, we we have to just walk out from under any umbrella of deception that we're presently under. Jesus said, watch out. Father, give us the means, the energy, the ability to see clearly. For we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.